This past uh, week, uh, Sharon and I, along with uh, our family, we were in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where I know that some of you guys were. Saw, saw you there on Facebook, ran into uh, a couple people. Thank you, gentlemen. Before I made it, I did that too. This right here, move pulpits around. Good job. Uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We've been going there for 30 years. And uh, so we went into where, you know, the side of the mountain, which uh, may be on the west side of the mountain, which I called Old Gatlinburg up there. And three years ago, last week, uh, fire totally devastated, I think, uh, some uh, 18, 1,800 houses, doll, 1,800 dwellings. Is that right? By the way, take a good look at her. She's got a birthday coming this week. So happy birthday, doll. Bless you. There you go. So we went through, and the fire destroyed uh, homes that we have stayed in, many of them, over the years. Um, the fire had... Uh, didn't say, okay, I think that's a $150,000 home, so I'm not going to burn that one. Or that's a $1.5 million home. I, I think I'll pass on that one. Anything that got in that fire's way, it just burned it to the ground. To the point is, uh, I'm a visual person, and I don't, I don't read road signs a whole lot. I read markers. So that house is there. Go, go to that house. Turn left. Turn right. So you might say, well, something's wrong with you. I freely admit it. I've told you that for 30 years something wrong with me, but at least I'm happy with it. Uh, so uh, trees gone, I mean foliage gone. Uh, now they are rebuilding after all these years. Uh, and uh, the last several years and new construction's going up everywhere, but it is not the same. It just didn't look the same. It didn't feel the same. And so, so that, that brings me to the attention that life is never the same. Have you noticed that one year to the next? Uh, People change, circumstances change, uh, places change, and, uh, and life just keeps moving forward. And when, when I saw that, I thought, all right, uh, you know, it's, it is beautiful. It's the Great Smoky Mountains, you know. And it was kind of, to one degree, a little bit saddening. So the thing that I thought that will always be there, that you can always count on, that is the Great Smoky Mountains, and many of those cabins, houses, have been there many, 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 many years over a circumstance, a fire started by two individuals, young guys, they said, uh, just eradicated. It's no longer there. It brought my attention once again, there are very few things that you can really count on all the time. And so I want to share with you a message that uh, I consider four absolute truths. Now, Four absolute truths, truths that you can count on according to the Word of God, truths that you can stand on that are not going to change in any way, shape, or form. Our text today is written by Solomon. That, of course, is David's son, and he's given some nuggets of truth all out of the writing of the book there of Proverbs. And he has a basic goal in mind. And if you study the Proverbs, this is what he has in mind. He, he wants to teach people how to live. You want to know how to live? Take a look at Proverbs and, and read it carefully. He wants to teach them understanding, things that we don't understand. Let me give you understanding. And then he also wants to talk about how to act justly and fairly, how to... 
all right, behave right and act justly and fairly toward everybody that you know. He warns them about problems. He said, if you think you're going to have a cozy life, you think even though you're going to advance financially, you might advance intellectually, you might advance in several other areas. He said, I want you to know there's still going to be a passel of problems that's going to hit you. And then he says, I want the wise to become wiser, not a wise guy, wiser. I want you to understand that. And he said, the first step to becoming wiser is have a trust and a reverence in the Lord. If you have a trust and a reverence in the Lord, he said, you will become come wiser. And he said, we know, most of us know, we've read Proverbs, read a proverb a chapter every single day. You'll get through it in a month and then go back and reread it in all that wisdom. But most of the stuff in the book of Proverbs and the writing there, we know. We know. We've read it. We, we've heard it. And yet, here's the challenge. If we're not careful, we'll forget it. it uh, and this message, as uh, I share with you, is one that says, okay, I want to remind us of a few things that maybe we already know, but we just need to drill down. So I'm going to use the message version of our text today, Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5. Here we go. Good friend, take to heart what I'm telling you. Collect my counsels and guard them with your life. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and won't take no for an answer, searching for it like a prospector, panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt, believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours and you'll have come upon the knowledge of God. What? The priorities and the presets and the principles. So here's one right now. I've said it, I've used it, I've stated it ordinarily from this pulpit many, many times. Number one, God directs our path. Would you say that with me? God directs our path. Say it again. Help me out now. God directs our path. In other words, every day, God's hand of anointing, God's blessing, God's guidance, and he whispers to us, giving us that guidance and direction through numerous steps. And so we find that in Psalms 37, verse 23. And here it is. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I've been young, and he says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants, what? Begging for bread. Begging for bread. What did he say? He gave you a, a, a secure package and promise that says, if you understand that, you grasp hold of that, that when some looming fear and some circumstance happens to hit your life or some oppressive situation or something turns you inside out like a pretzel, you can have this one thing that you stand on. I know that God directs my step. I know that God somewhere is in the midst of this. I know that no matter what happens or what people say, I know that God's hand of anointing rests upon me. And when maybe an apparent failure because of some mistake or something of that nature, you say, God, you can take and make lemonade out of lemons. And in those times, we often feel hopeless. 
Well, no hope. No hope says, why? It's not even worth living anymore. I don't have any hope. You lose focus on life. I just don't want to get out. I don't want to do anything. I don't, I don't want to focus. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We feel forsaken and forgotten. Nobody really cares. They don't give two cents for me. And we're mesmerized by fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. Oh, something else is going to happen. What next? Well, it comes in threes. What's going to happen now? And it's in these times that we forget that the giants would affect, which affect us adversely, mentally, emotionally, and intellectually, and in fact, spiritually, will come after us, those giants of opposition do fall. God does make a way where there is no way. How do you feel about that? God does add when others are trying to subtract him. Come on, help me preach somebody. God does stand up for us when injustice is done. He stands strong and a mighty tower with his hand upon our lives. Help me out, somebody. In these times we know, I forget that the Red Sea did part. Amen. We forget that Abraham did father the heir of a nation. We forget that Elijah did call fire down from heaven in the midst of an enemy camp. We forget that a fourth man did show up in that fiery furnace. We forget that Paul's presence saved hundreds on a ship that was doomed to sink. And maybe we might just forget sometime that Jesus was dead, but on the third day he rose again and broke the powers of the shackles of death and rose victorious. Come on, church, we know. Those are the things <coughs> that we choose to believe. When I get weary and I get worn and I get upset and I get angry and I get, wow, I can remember this. I know he's in control. Amen. I know he's in control. Well, it's also important to understand not only that Jesus raised from the dead, it says that the good steps of a great man are ordered of the Lord. And though we may fall, we are not cast down. And though we might hit a rough spot, somebody told me uh, this morning, what'd you have for Thanksgiving lunch? And he said, well, I had a bologna sandwich. Well, there is a story behind the story. He did have a bologna sandwich, but his wife was in New York visiting the family. He decided to go deer hunting, and nobody delivered him a turkey at his deer stand. He had a bologna sandwich, and it was probably the best bologna sandwich he's ever had. It was probably deer bologna. How many of you know a bologna sandwich is not bad sometimes? Am I the only one that likes bologna? I mean, I hear a lot of bologna, but... Okay, here we go. Ready for number two? I missed you last week, so I'm ready for you this week. <laughs> Love does prevail. Say it with me. Love does prevail. Love does prevail. I love you. What more can I say? I need you. There's no other way, believe me. Since heaven knows when. There I've said it again. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. 
go ahead. I love you. I hate you. <laughs> Here we go. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain. Let's say what they are, everybody. Faith, hope, and love. Read on. Greatest of these is love. Well, let's drill down on that. The greatest is love. The greatest tool for good is the power of love. Faith is great. Hope is wonderful. And they're important. Faith, my Lord, you can't please God without faith, but love is the greatest. Well, you do a little study, you do a drill down, and you'll understand why May 2nd, 1962, true story, an article appeared in the San Francisco Examiner, and it was paid for by an individual, and this is what it said. I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not forget. I will, therefore, offer my services for 10 years to be a cook, a maid, a housekeeper for any leading attorney who will defend my husband and bring about vindication. Well, boy, that article got a spin. And one of the greatest attorneys in San Francisco, Vincent Halliman, heard about it and contacted Gladys Kidd, asked her what was going on. She said, my husband, Robert Lee Kidd, is about to be tried for a crime that he did not forget. And I'm willing to offer my life for the next 10 years, my services, I can cook, I can clean, I can serve. If somebody will take his case and in fact prove that he's not guilty of the crime. The crime was an antique dealer, elderly antique dealer of antiques, was killed. And on the saber sword was Robert Lee Kidd, her husband, his speck of blood, and his fingerprints. And so we know that when it went to trial, the lawyer proved with witnesses that Robert Lee Kidd had been in the store six, eight months earlier. He and a friend took that saber sword. He did. His friend had a sword and nicked him, and a little blood got on the handle of the sword. His fingerprints were on it. And that's how that happened. And so the reality after making that presentation, the jury elaborated for 11 hours and found Mr. Kidd not guilty. He was vindicated from the crime, one that he said he did not do. Now it's time for the attorney to deal with Mrs. Kidd and say, okay, I won the case. He turned and looked at her and he said, I'm not going to take you up on your offer to serve, to cook, or clean. I will not do that because you've impacted me so much that you love your husband so much that you were willing to give 10 years of your life for some attorney to endeavor to try the case and be his representative 
to find him not guilty. He said, my reward is the impact of what you've had because of your apparent love for your husband. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, looks down upon us. And he says the world says about him that he's guilty. An angry mob said that he was guilty. Many in society today that are broken and torn and full of sin says he's guilty that coming out of the grave did not happen, that other things that the church is irrelevant today. But may the church of Jesus Christ be so in love with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we will say, it doesn't matter what you believe. Here's what I know. Someone came along my life and touched my life and redeemed me of my sin, and I will forever give him my life and let the world know Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Christmas gives us that privilege to represent that kind of love to a dying world. You see, love never fails. It wins every time. Say that with me. Love never fails. It wins every time. You can heal a situation by loving someone through it. You want to win your enemies? Just love them and accept them. You want to impact those around you that may not be followers of Jesus Christ? Show them the power of love and not judgment. You want to influence your unsaved friends and family? Accept them just like they are, but love them with all of your heart. Love is that character of Jesus Christ that flows through the believer's actions by what we do and what we say, and it's the loudest testimony that we can possibly have. You believe that? So Ephesians 3.17, Paul pens this, and let's read it, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Solomon writes Proverbs, here we go, Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers how many wrongs? How many wrongs? All wrongs. Proverbs 15, 17, better a meal of veggies where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. So can we, in our mind, Say, God, where am I missing it? I know all that. But where in my actual behavior am I missing it? Where am I missing the mark? Well, temptation will hit us. Amen. We were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee last weekend. We got there. We got there when we got there. (laughs) On Saturday. Saturday. Saturday place we were going to stay was a hotel for that night. It was rainy. It was cold. It was windy. But, you know, being Floridians, we wanted cold. We wanted windy. We didn't care. They wanted snow. But at any rate, it didn't happen. And the place we had had a big, you know, drive-through deal. And, and I pulled up my, my car, and, and Sharon was in the car, and, and some others, a girl's 
two granddaughters, they were with us. And I just pulled up, you know, kind of out of the door there in part. And there were other cars on the other side. And I got an, and there was a line about, I don't know, eight or ten people. So I just lovingly, you know, patiently went and got in line, you know. Now, you don't have to stand in line and just be quiet. I turned to this one and said, where, where in the world are you all from? Oh, we're from Kentucky. I said, Kentucky? I had uh, yeah, we're from Kentucky. I said, well, good. Well, where are you from? I said, the mouse trout. The mouse trout? I said, yeah. I said, that's why we call Disney World in Central Florida. He said, you know. Uh, so we're, we're from Disney. And so we got to talking, and the line kept, you know, nudging forward little by little. And, and I looked at my watch a couple times now. Now, now there's one lady that got up to the counter and uh, and she was taking her time because the first credit card she laid down did not work. So I thought, okay, wouldn't that be just be something you got ahead of me? But I'm just thinking that. And so while I'm there, all of a sudden the door in the lobby was full. All of a sudden the door opened and some guy came out like he was Mr. Somebody. He said, hey, who does that Escalade belong to out there? <laughs> me. He said, uh, what about moving it out of the way where the rest of us can park? I thought, well, it's parking all over the place out there. Now, I paused because there's always the temptation, I'm out of town. Anybody bearing witness? I'm only human. I had all these thoughts that were giving me permission you know, so I said, uh, mine, he said, what about moving it out of the way? I said, you know what? I'll be delighted to do that. Soon as this lady's through and I get my business taken care of, I'll come out and move it then. He didn't like that answer. <laughs> you know, that was nice. Now, I shall not tell you what I desperately, desperately wanted to tell him. How many, how many could think up a few things you might want to tell him? I mean, just a few things that I thought I'd like, you know, if you, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I just didn't. And the manager behind the counter spoke up and said, hey, sir, you should have got here earlier. You'd have had his spot. I said, you go, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, we eventually moved it. That would not necessarily have been a loving thing for me to do. What do you think? But it was the necessary thing to do. Love is not touchy or unkind. Oh. It's, not, it's not out to gain its own way. Love likes to be spent on those who need it. So it's Christmas season. Show me the love. Amen? How many has already been to Walmart? Amen. M greatest entertainment in town. That's the truth. You have a tattoo there? Good Lord, have mercy. Ted Stallard, 
as a young kid who as far as anyone knew of he and his family did not have a prayer. He was turned off by school. He was sloppy in his appearance because no one at home cared for him. His dad made him go to school. When he would go to school, he was expressionless, unattractive. He landed in elementary school where there was one class for two or three grades, Miss Thompson. She would look at Ted and it just aggravated her for some reason and she'd take her red marker and mark X's over all his wrong answers. And she would write, you can do better. Study. Had she read his record regarding the entry into school, she would have looked at Ted a little differently. Grade one, it's said of Ted in his file, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but he has a bad, bad home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better, but mother is seriously ill. Receives little help from anyone at his house. Third grade. Ted is a good boy, but he's too serious. He is a slow learner, and his mother died this year. Next grade, Ted is very slow, but he is a well-behaved child. His father shows no interest whatsoever when contacted about Ted's education. That year, Christmas rolled around. All the children bought their gifts for the teacher. Ms. Thompson realized that some of the gifts had been wrapped by parents, and they were so nice. Ted had a brown paper bag, torn, and together with scotch tape, and it was the last one that she opened. The children gathered around. They were really waiting to see what would come out of Ted's. Well, when she raised the package up, a rhinestone bracelet with half of the rhinestones missing fell out on the desk. She opened it up, and there was a little cheap bottle of perfume. She took a moment. She saw Ted's face of anxious anticipation, and she saw the kid's shock. She put the bracelet on. She took the perfume and splashed a little on each wrist, rubbed them together, said, thank you, Ted, so much. And Ted said, you smell just like my mother, Miss Thompson. He left. And as he left, he said, I'm so glad you like my presence. When the class was empty, Miss Thompson got on her knees. And she prayed for God to forgive her. She prayed for God to use her and not cause her to judge those that may not putting forth the effort that she thought they should. And she asked God for his help, for a greater capacity to love. The next day, all the students showed up again, but what they found was a different teacher, a different way in which she managed students, a different way in which she managed Ted. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> Time drifted on by.
A number of years later, she got a letter, which was a note, and said, Thank you, Ms. Thompson. I just graduated second in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. Four more years went past. She got another note. Ms. Thompson, I graduated first in my class. The university was hard, but I dug in and studied diligently. I wanted you to be the first to know. Four more years passed. She got another note. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. I wanted you to be the first to know. As a matter of fact, on the 27th of next month, I'm going to be married and I'm asking you to come and sit in the place where my mother would have sat. I'm all alone and you're the only family that I have. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson came to the church, looked at the young man that was dramatically different from the young boy she saw. One with courage, with boldness. He hugged her and he said, Miss Thompson, I thought about you every day. And the love that you showed me made me try harder. She broke and began to cry and thought, I'm glad I knelt down and asked God to help me and forgive me. I'm glad that even though I didn't see the potential in the young boy to begin with, that I extended to him a heart of gratitude. Little did I realize that he held me in the same position as his mother. You see, it's the holiday season. One of the great things is we know that love never fails. Love always wins. But we have the privilege to love beyond ourselves, love beyond our energy, love beyond our imagination. And just as we know the angel and the dove trees and all of those will be gone probably by the time the front part of the church gets out there. But we know that in ringing the Salvation Army bell, well, one of our families was ringing it just recently, Black Friday as a matter of fact. And a lady came out and had a handful of change with some stuff in her arms and had on a work uniform where she worked. And she told the family in our church, again, because the Salvation Army put me up, room and board for six months when I had nowhere to go and I had no place to be. They got me a job and gave me a chance. And I will always be indebted to the Salvation Army. So when you ring that bell... Remember, if you don't know the faces behind it, but it is the commandment of the Lord God to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and body. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you believe that, put your hands together and let's thank God. Number three. <clears throat> Number three, there will be a rapture. What is the rapture? The rapture is that moment, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 
It's real. It's going to happen. It's an absolute. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but will be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will, we will be changed. And that will happen. Sharon and I were in the car wash where they do the jet deal, and all of a sudden, one of them just came on my pow like that. I said, hey, you know the rapture is going to be quicker than that right there. In that moment, I knew what the message was about. I said, that quick. We need to be ready. In a moment when you think not, Jesus is going to return. What's going to happen? He said, the dead in Christ will be raised first, and those of us who are alive to remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There will be no second chances. There will be no moment to, to redo it. If you're going to love somebody, love them now. If you're going to get forgiveness from somebody, get it now. If you're going to change behavior, change it now. If you're going to reach out and ask for forgiveness from someone, do it now. If you're going to make amends with the relationship, do it now. Amen. If you're going to live for God, pray, tell, do it now. He can come at any moment just that fast. If you believe that, say amen. That is an absolute, an absolute, finally, Judgment is coming. Judge not that ye, come on now, sing it out. Judge not that you be not judged. I don't like people judging me. But if they want to, that's their problem. Amen. My life is not lived because somebody else judges me adversely. I already give it up. Everybody I know is a hypocrite. That's right. You catch any one of us at any given time, we're going to make a mistake, make an error, and people are going to say, oh, hypocrite. But you know, God never called me to perfection. He just called me to be holy and righteous in him and to do my best. Amen? I'm not living up to a bunch of rules. I'm living up to a love relationship in Jesus Christ. But judgment is coming. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Hebrews 9, 27, just as a man is destined to die once, after that, he's going to face what? Would you stand? I'm just going to stop right there. Judgment. So we know the rapture take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then we know judgment's going to take place. Let me tell you how that's going to happen. An unbeliever, a person who might be just a good person, a person that, hey, might be generous, a person that, that might be well-behaved, a person that is, hey, got a great family. But if that person, no matter what they have in their hand, has never said, Jesus, I am sorry, forgive me. And when you pray that prayer, your life begins to change. To say you're a follower of Jesus and you're still living the same old deviled way, that's not, that's not redemption. So the person who's an unbeliever, unbeliever that's never really acknowledged Jesus, and how do you know that's never just followed him, be consistent. You know when you're a follower of Christ, nobody has to tell you go to church. Do you know that? You realize the importance. Nobody has to tell you to read your Bible, pray, give, all of that. Because that's a part of who you are. 
the reality is that person will stand before the Lord and the books will open and here's what he will say. This is what the Bible says. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And the Bible says they will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. But as long as you're breathing, there is hope. And then the believer is going to be judged. But we're not going to be judged by our sin because we've been forgiven. We're going to be judged by our works. When you knew to, knew to do something for somebody, did you do it? When you knew to offer an encouraging word, did you do it? When you knew to give, did you give? When you knew to talk to them about Jesus, did you do that? When you knew you should surround someone with just a good hug and be friendly and say, hey, come on, you're a special person. And you did that. That's what the Bible says. We'll be judged on our righteousness, judged on our loyalty unto death, judged on our joy, our graciousness for God, and judged on works, what we do, what we do. Roll my sleeves up. Those of you decorated this church, hey, that's works. It's real. So that's how we'll be judged. So we know now love is a part of the life of a follower. It always wins. God's hand, he directs our path. The rapture one day will happen in a moment which no man knoweth when the Son of Man shall appear. And when that happens and you breathe your last breath, judgment's going to hit you in the face. Well, Here's the deal. As long as we're here and we are breathing, we can say, God, what is it in my life that with your help I need to tweak or change? And all you have to do is say, God, it's me. I humble myself, and I just need you to touch me. Wrap your arms around me. Help me. But you know what? Unless you ask him, he's not going to come to your pew and wrap you up and drag you down to this altar because that's no love at all. He's just going to wait and say, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you healing. I'll give you rest. I'll give you understanding. So just in case, and those of you online, let's repeat this prayer. Would you do that after me? Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've made mistakes. I have sinned, I've made wrong choices, but this morning I confess them and I believe by faith you are able to forgive me. So I'm standing on your word and I declare that you are my redeemer and you are my Lord and King. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I'm gonna give the benediction in a moment. Please stay with us until that benediction is given. If you need prayer in your body, you need prayer for relationship, you need prayer because you say, I can't leave without getting prayer. You know God's pulling on you. As we sing this chorus, you slip out of your pew right where you are and come on down. And we're going to pray for you. I'll give the benediction in just a moment. Can you do that? You need prayer. You come now. Everybody, here we go. Give you my soul.
Don't wait on anyone else. Those of you in the balcony, anybody need to come? Heavenly Father, I thank you today because I sensed your presence. We have worshiped and we have laughed and we have clapped. We have praised. We've enjoyed being in church. I pray now you would touch every heart, every individual. Touch those online. Some of them are not here because they're absolutely not well. Sickness has prevailed. Would you bring healing to them? Others are traveling and not in this vicinity. Others in around the world. God are praying for victory right now. Minister and meet every need. And then let us enjoy this afternoon. And then tonight, tonight, bring us back for the message of Paul's admonition to Timothy. You'll have to have strong determination or you won't make it. We're going to talk about that. Breathe on us in your spirit. I'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Those that are visiting, I'd love to meet you personally right off the lobby in the hospitality suite. Don't forget the, uh, don't forget the dove tree out there.